following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. According to a gendered analysis of violent deaths, a report published in 2016 by the Small Arms Survey, quote, among 25 countries with the highest rates of femicide in the world, 14 are from Latin America and the Caribbean, end quote. There are numerous categories of femicide, including intimate femicide, non-intimate femicide, honor killings, sexual orientation hate crimes, murder of aboriginal women and girls, dowry-related femicide, organized crime femicide, and targeted killings of women in armed conflict, among others. The Global Burden of Armed Violence 2014 database shows that between 2007 and 2012, on average, 60,000 women were killed violently around the world. On March 9, 2018, the body of a 22-year-old university senior was found in the apartment of her on-and-off-again friend. She had been strangled to death and jealousy was suspected, but her killer soon fled the country. Attempts to have him extradited failed, but over a year later, his trial finally began as he faced charges for femicide. This is the story of Haley Anderson. Before I start in the details of this case, I wanted to explain why I chose this particular one, and it's because the murderer was actually charged with femicide which is not a charge we have in Canada or in the U.S. that I'm aware of. And until this case, I didn't know it was even an actual charge. I had some difficulty finding out which countries have femicide as a charge in their laws, but in the statistics I referenced above, it stated that, quote, All Latin American states have ratified the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, and that 14 follow the Inter-American Human Rights System that includes the Inter-American Convention on the Prevention, Punishment, and Eradication of Violence Against Women, which affirms that violence against women constitutes a violation of their human rights and fundamental freedom, end quote. I am primarily focusing on Latin American statistics, which consists of Central and South America, Mexico, and some Caribbean islands, because the murderer in this story is from Nicaragua. But also the rates of femicide in these countries is extremely high. Quote, according to the Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean, on average, 12 women are murdered a day across the region. However, due to data limitations, those numbers do not include Brazil, a country with one of the worst records of gender-based violence, end quote. I was shocked in a good way to learn he was charged with femicide, 
which in his trial's context referenced murdering his intimate partner, but generally refers to, quote, the intentional killing of women or girls because they are female, end quote. I know that that is a lot of statistics, quotes, and information, but there is so much more to research. Femicide is a global crisis, and while some countries are making progress in their laws and regulations, it is still not always taken seriously, and around the world, femicide is viewed very differently. For example, quote, between 2012 and 2015, there were an estimated 24,771 dowry deaths in India. In Jordan, there are 15 to 20 reported honor killings every year, end quote. So let's keep these conversations going. You can reach out on my Instagram at femicide underscore podcast or on my Facebook discussion group, Femicide Podcast. And don't forget to share or leave a review as well, as it really helps to get my little podcast out into the world. Haley Anderson was born on May 9th, 1995 in Long Island, New York, to parents Karen and Gordon Anderson and had a younger sister named Madeline. Her family lived in an area of Long Island called Westbury, which is described as a village with a population of 15,404 as of 2020, and is located 29 kilometers or 18 miles from Manhattan. She was in her fifth year of studies at Binghampton University, which is located 338 kilometers or 210 miles from her family home in Westbury. Haley was studying nursing and was planning to graduate in May of 2018. She had already secured a job in an emergency room back in her hometown and was looking forward to the next chapter of her life. She had been working at an on-campus coffee shop for three years during her studies and maintained straight A's, a testament to her work ethic, which friends described as hardworking. But she is also remembered as compassionate, friendly, and having a love of music. Her mother also described Haley as a, quote, millennial hippie, which to me means she was loving, carefree, and easygoing, but in the body of a millennial as opposed to someone alive, say, in Woodstock in 1969. Haley had met a man named Orlando Tessero in her nursing program, and the two briefly dated. But Haley had repeatedly made it clear that she did not want a serious relationship and was also involved in an on-and-off-again relationship with her ex-boyfriend, Kevin. This didn't sit well with Orlando, and Haley's roommate, Josie, says that he became obsessed. Josie claims that Orlando would drive by their apartment, or show up unannounced, or that they would just come home to find him sitting on their porch. On September 16, 2017, Haley posted a Snapchat video showing her tires had been slashed. She had spent the night with Kevin, and they both assumed that it was Orlando that had vandalized her car. 
After speaking to her mother, she filed a police report, but upon discovering Orlando could be charged with a felony because it was $600 in damages, she dropped the charges, worried he would likely be kicked out of school for the incident. Again, this shows the caring side of Haley, who, even after having her car vandalized, was worried what would happen to the person that committed the crime. 22-year-old Orlando came from a well-off family in Nicaragua and held dual citizenship. He was described as being very jealous and possessive of Haley. It was stated in the police report that Haley and Orlando had previously dated. It was also stated that Haley was confronted by Orlando on the evening of September 15th when she attended a party at his residence about her, quote, new relationship with a mutual friend, end quote. And I'm not sure if this was her ex-boyfriend Kevin, whom she spent the night with, or if she had begun seeing someone else. But regardless, it is her life and her body. So some guy she briefly dated does not get a say in what she does, whether he is hurt or not. This is definitely a case of Orlando feeling like Haley was his property and that he didn't want her to be with anyone else. I feel badly for people who care about someone and it's not reciprocated the same way and you have to watch them run off with someone else. Trust me, I've been there. It hurts like hell. And yes, you get angry and sad, but to commit a felony... To jeopardize your own future for the sake of revenge isn't just a stupid mistake. It's blinding rage, and it's a red flag. He should have been charged with vandalizing her car, and it's sad to think that may have ended her ordeal right then and there. He is kicked out of school, goes back to Nicaragua, and she goes on to live her life. But then again, maybe he would have retaliated, it's hard to know, and what-ifs are never helpful because we really don't know if anything could have been avoided. There is speculation from differing reports that Orlando and Haley were on and off for up to a year and a half, but I couldn't find any confirmation of that, only what was in the police report about it being a brief relationship. Other reports state that Haley made it clear to Orlando time and time again that she didn't want to be in a committed relationship, so I assume that likely they were just sleeping together, and then Haley pulled away, and that it probably wasn't a relationship necessarily, but that they occasionally hooked up for a while afterwards, and then as he became possessive, Haley tried to end it fully and pull away further. Her friends do say that she had wanted to stay friends with Orlando, and while she had tried to distance herself from him, she didn't appear to be fearful of him. Her friends say that she was too trusting of a person, and eventually she let Orlando back into her life more. Then, on March 8, 2018, Haley went to Orlando's apartment around 4 a.m. after a night of drinking. Security footage showed them entering his apartment, and later that morning, it showed Orlando leaving by himself. He then drove to JFK Airport and boarded a flight to Nicaragua. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast. 
The concept behind femicide is very close to my heart, and I hope through these stories we can shed a light on the abuse, violence, and sexual assault that women face daily. This podcast is a 100% one-woman operation. I research, write, record, and edit every single episode myself. To help support me and my efforts, I have started a Patreon account. If you aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a membership-based platform designed to allow fans to support and connect with their favorite creators. Sign up today online at patreon.com or via the Patreon app. I will leave a link in the show notes of this episode. And as always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts received and memberships every month to various charities that help support women. The charity I will be donating to for the month of November 2021 is Women's College Hospital. Located in Toronto, WCH is a leader in health for women, health equity, and health system solutions. Quote, we advocate for health equity because we know that a healthy society requires a level playing field where everyone has access to timely, high-quality, efficient, and compassionate care, end quote. Gifts, while deeply appreciated, are not the only way you can show support. It would mean a lot if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, as it really helps to bring awareness to these stories. And please don't forget to share with your friends and families, because word of mouth is the best review of all. On March 9th, 2018, friends of Haley's and her roommate began to text her. After a while of not receiving any responses, they began to worry, as that was very out of character for her. So by early afternoon, they decided to track her phone and discovered it was at Orlando's apartment. They showed up and tried to get into the apartment, but as no one was answering the door, they decided to break a window and enter. And that is when they found the deceased body of 22-year-old Haley Anderson laying in the bed. She had bruising on her neck and arms, and the friends immediately called 911. This was actually the second time the police came to the apartment that day. Earlier, Orlando's sister received a very concerning text from him and called the police to do a welfare check, but they were unable to make contact with him and left the apartment without going inside. Which always confuses me about welfare checks. Like, that is why you usually call, because you fear the person is deceased or harmed. So to not enter the apartment feels wrong to me. But I'm not sure if there are any laws that don't allow entry or if the police just didn't feel concerned and should have entered. So if you know the answer to this, please let me know on my Instagram at femicide underscore podcast. But as it turns out, Orlando actually attempted to commit suicide by hanging himself with a tie and that it broke and he hit his head. I have those photos up on my Instagram, but you can see his head is bandaged from the fall. There was also a note to his family apologizing that was found at the scene. It was written in Spanish and said, quote, 
I am so sorry for this. Father, I will see you soon. End quote. On the morning of the murder, Orlando is seen multiple times coming and going from his apartment from the security camera footage. He was seen taking garbage out, and a receipt from CVS was found showing he purchased Zequil and melatonin. CVS is a pharmacy slash convenience store, sort of has a bit of everything, like in Canada we have Shoppers Drug Mart. And both Zequil and melatonin are sleep aids. Haley arrived at 4 a.m. and he left for the airport seven hours later at 11 a.m. So I wonder if he had tried to make himself fall asleep before or after the attempted suicide or if he even took the products. Maybe he had thought of trying to kill himself by taking the sleep aids and then worried it wouldn't work and decided to hang himself because I feel he would have likely been too drowsy to flee if he had taken those products. Although it's not impossible, it's just curious what his plan was. And obviously this seems very unplanned, so I'm sure he had no like real plan. But the events of the morning are all based on the footage and police theories. And I didn't really find anything that talks about Orlando's version of events. Upon arriving in Nicaragua, Orlando's mother picked him up from the airport and drove him back to the family home, which was about three hours away. He arrived to the airport at 4 p.m. on March 9th, so just five hours from when he left the apartment. An autopsy of Haley's body was conducted on March 10th, and it was clear she had been murdered, and quickly a statement was released by police stating, quote, The victim and the male student had a previous domestic romantic relationship. The investigation determined that the person of interest had left the United States by an international air travel flight prior to the discovery of Haley Anderson's deceased body, end quote. By March 11th, he was officially named a suspect, and police were seeking a warrant for his arrest. Police were aware immediately Orlando had fled, and on March 13th, he was apprehended by Nicaraguan authorities. His mother had taken him to the hospital to treat his head wound, and that's when police arrested him. Another report states he had been placed in a psychiatric hospital upon his arrival into Nicaragua due to the attempted suicide. Either way, he was arrested and charged, initially with second-degree murder. The U.S. wanted Orlando to be extradited, but it was eventually denied. On September 1st, 2019, the trial for Orlando finally began, and as I previously mentioned, his charge was now femicide. I have gone over this before in previous cases, but second-degree murder means it was not premeditated. The difference in sentencing lies in a sooner date for eligibility of parole, usually 10 years compared to 25 years for first-degree murder. But that is not always the case and can mean life in prison, just like first-degree. Femicide, however, can carry a lesser sentence of just 30 years in prison, which means Orlando would be released in his early 50s. I'm not sure if this is a case-by-case -case basis 
or if it is standard 30 years for the charge of femicide. Again, if you know the answer to that, please reach out and let me know because I'm, I'm very interested. The trial began and both Haley's mother and her roommate Josie testified. A link was also provided for Haley's family to watch the trial from the U.S. The prosecution theorized that Orlando acted in a jealous rage, but the defense argued that Orlando was temporarily insane at the time of the murder. They claimed he had no memory of what had happened that night and implied he too was inebriated, since it was clear Haley had been out drinking prior to entering his apartment. There was no evidence he had drugs or alcohol in his system that evening, and he was apparently given a psychological evaluation, which I assume found him mentally fit considering he was tried. After just 90 minutes of deliberating, the judge returned a guilty verdict and sentenced Orlando to 30 years in prison for femicide. He is still eligible to be tried for the initial second-degree murder charge in New York due to extradition laws, and should he ever step foot in the U.S., he will be tried. Although the extradition was denied originally, authorities have not given up trying to see Orlando face his charges in the U.S. In February 2020, Orlando appealed his conviction and attempted to lessen his sentence. His attorney requested he be given another psychological evaluation, and that was granted. But thankfully, on March 10th, 2020, his appeal was denied, and his sentence was upheld. Haley's case is extremely tragic, but not at all uncommon, sadly. More needs to be done to help young women understand the signs of controlling behavior and support for how to exit these types of situations. Females aged 18 to 24 and 25 to 34 generally experienced the highest rates of intimate partner violence. An estimated 10.7% of women have been stalked by an intimate partner during their lifetime and 52% of college women report knowing a friend who has experienced violent and abusive dating behaviors, including physical, sexual, tech, verbal, or controlling abuse. Haley was a bright, caring, and kind young woman whose big heart and trusting nature brought a man into her life that ended up taking her life away. Her father remembers her as, quote, a kind, compassionate person who always saw the good in people, end quote, which is what made her want to pursue nursing so she could help others. Quote, she was someone who would have made a huge difference in the world, end quote. Sadly, she never got the chance. Thank you for listening to the story of Haley Anderson. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.